A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This is Sarah from the left here while Beth is in Europe sharing her interview with Chris Seelbach. Chris is a Cincinnati city council member, and he is the first openly gay politician elected to that position. And we thought it would be a great way to kick off Pride Month, to share this interview, and we hope you all enjoy it. So can you tell our listeners just a little bit about you and how you decided to get into politics? Yeah, so I'm originally from Louisville, Kentucky. I moved to Cincinnati 19 years ago to go to Xavier University. Uh, then I went on to law school. And in, in the course of those uh, schoolings, I met a guy named David Crowley in 2001 uh, who was retired. And he came home to run the family business, which was Crowley's Pub in Mount Adams, and decided to run for city council, um, not because he wanted to be governor or president, but just to give back in his retirement. And, uh, and he also had four kids and two were straight and two were gay and he was accepting of them. And it was a time in my life where I didn't have that acceptance from my parents. So uh, I was really drawn to him and, and what he stood for and also his relationship with his kids. Uh, so volunteered on his campaign, uh, ended up running one of his campaigns, I worked for him at City Hall. And that's kind of the very short version of how I got interested in, in local government was uh, this guy who I saw walk into City Hall every day 
uh, wanting to do the right thing and not do the thing that would advance his own political career. And so you ran for city council in Cincinnati. Is this your first elected office? Uh, first elected office. I ran in 2011 and then ran for re-election in 2013. And so. you're up for re-election again And I'm up for re-election this year. We're so. sitting in your beautiful campaign <laughs> headquarters. Yeah, we're, um, we're thick in the, in the campaign. So. What's that like running for city council in a community the size of Cincinnati? It's a lot of work, um, right? I mean, so to be effective, you have to raise a lot of money. Uh, we're talking maybe $200,000 is our goal. So uh, it's a lot of work to raise that money. And then you also have to, uh, so we don't have districts. So I represent every single Cincinnatian and every person gets a chance to vote or not vote for me. So, you know, I'm at, at least one community council a week, just going to, it was in Kennedy Heights this past week and Westwood, um, just going and listening to what people are talking about, what their concerns are, what's going on in their neighborhood, uh, and then, you know, we're at as many events as we can be in um, every week. So it's, a, it's definitely a full-time job just running a campaign. Uh, so, and I was lucky enough, my first campaign, uh, and I think it's good for first-time candidates, you almost need to not have another full-time job. So I was lucky my employer allowed me to run for office. So uh, it, it's a lot of work. Tell me about your first two terms. What have you enjoyed? What's been frustrating for you? Yeah, I mean, so the city of Cincinnati was losing population for over 65 years. Uh, people were leaving, moving out, uh, and people, young people were not excited about living here. Uh, I heard over and over, I can't wait to graduate high school or college and, and move to a city like Chicago or New York or Portland or Austin. Um, and so why I ran was to really try to fix that and say, we need to stop trying to focus with, on amenities with our suburbs, uh, Mason and Madeira, um, not that there's anything wrong with those uh, suburbs, but uh, people choose to live in the city before they choose their job. And when someone wants to move to a city, they want it to look like and feel like an, an urban city, which means good public transportation, walkable streets, thriving arts and entertainment, diverse housing, uh, an emphasis on, on inclusion and diversity. And we weren't investing in those things. Uh, we were kind of just making ends meet and not taking chances. Uh, and so I ran to change that and we have. I mean, that's what I focused on this last six years is, is making big, uh, big decisions, making big investments, trying to help us feel and look like a, a regular urban city to allow us to compete for jobs. And for the first time in, in 65 years, our population is growing and young people are excited about li of living here. And we've taken the most unsafe, unsought after neighborhood in the country and made it perhaps one of the most exciting and people are fighting over developments and you know we have to make sure that this neighborhood and we're in over the Rhine uh, that you can live here no matter your income level so you know we're, we, we're, we were at a point where it was the most unsafe neighborhood in the country and, and almost every building was either falling to the street or boarded up and now people want to develop them and sell them for half million dollar condos and they're doing it so we have to make sure that uh, we're very purposeful on that and make sure that if you are lower income and you want to live in over the Rhine that you still can or moderate in income. What have some of the surprises or challenges of serving um, on the city council been for you? You know, I think what people might think of politics is that there's politics involved in all of it, that just because you have a good idea and uh, it would make things better, that it doesn't always work because you know, the mayor may, who has to refer your legislation, may have a bone to pick with you so he doesn't refer it or he refers it to a committee he knows it'll die in. 
So those stuff that we all hate about politics, that it's not just as simple as, I have a good idea, it will help people's lives, it should pass. Um, that's very frustrating on a daily basis. I think that we all talk about politics, especially in the, the Trump climate, yep. as being you know Republican versus Democrat. And as Fancy Politics listeners know, you know, Sarah and I always talk about, we think, despite the fact that I'm more conservative and she's more liberal, that if we were sitting together on a city council, we would have very little disagreement, you right. know, because my perspective is more about limitation of federal power mm-hmm. as opposed to how do we solve problems locally. So I'm wondering in your experience, do those party lines matter significantly here or are there different political dividing lines? I think they do matter. Um, you know, we have a council that's five Democrats, four conservatives, all of the conservatives don't identify as Republican, but independent conservatives. And we often do have five, four votes. I mean, even though our job mainly is, you know, everything that affects you in your normal life, but roads, police officers, uh, health, set, health com- community centers, rec centers, things like that. I mean, we do deal with LGBT rights. We do deal with abortion. We, uh, we, you know, we do have some relation to all of those kind of polarizing issues. Uh, and then, you know, we have our main job is balancing a budget. Uh, uh, we're balancing a $1.5 billion budget before June 30th. And how you either spend or don't spend those dollars, and we're dealing with a deficit, a $20 million, $6 million deficit, so where to cut and not cut. Uh, I often do see party lines that are, that are part of that. I mean, you know, we spend almost 70% of our budget on police and fire. Uh, but no one, including me, wants to cut anything from police and fire. But you know, I also don't want to cut human services funding, which may prevent someone from ever committing a crime because we're getting them a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're getting them the health care, the mental health care that they need. So uh, knowing that solving crime is not just about the number of police officers, it's also about making sure that people have access to resources to help them be healthy uh, people, productive people. So we do have disagreements sometimes, uh, a lot of times, on, on issues that are, that are party lines. So I first came to know of your uh, political career in connection with a diversity and inclusion roundtable that Cincy Magazine hosted. And I really yep. admired the way you talked about those issues. Even though I identify as conservative, it is, it is because of my views on the power and reach of government, but yep. I'm really passionate about those topics. So I'd love to just hear more about your work in that area, what you see. I think what you do is remarkable because Cincinnati is known to be such a conservative, um, culturally conservative community. And it seems like we've just, since I've lived here over 10 years, changed completely. And it it feels like you've really been key to that. Yeah, I mean, in in 1993, the voters repealed our city's human rights law that said you can't fire people who are gay from their job just because they're gay. Uh, And in 93, that was 92, the voters actually repealed that law in a decisive vote saying, and not only did they repeal it, so they said we want discrimination to be legal, but they also embedded in our city charter something that said, Article 12, uh, you cannot use sexual orientation or gender identity as a protected status in anything the city does. And we lived under that law for over a decade. Some call it the most anti-gay local law our city's ever seen. We lost documented $55 million in revenue from conventions that had booked here and that pulled out. And the intangible amount of money that we lost is probably much more than that. Uh, So I helped lead that repeal effort in 2004, which is interesting because 2004 was the year George W. Bush was running for re-election. 
And one of his campaign tactics, which is not, I mean, he would openly admit this, was to put bans on marriage equality on the ballot in swing states. Uh, so 13 states that were kind of, could swing either way, had these constitutional amendments banning gay marriage, and Ohio was one of them, uh, and it passed. And, but yet, our repeal effort to uh, get rid of our anti-gay law was the only winning LGBT rights initiative in the country that year, even when our own state uh, banned marriage equality. And we did it. It was kind of like a pre-Barack Obama approach, which is that, yes, spending money on commercials and mail pieces are important, but this is an issue that we just need to talk to voters about. And so hundreds, if not thousands of us, went door to door for two years uh, talking with people on their doorstep. And in our training, we're like, you have to use the word gay. You can't talk about fairness or equality. We need to have these conversations about, do you think it's okay to fire someone just because of who they love? And having those real tough conversations, and very tough for straight people to do, because if you're a straight woman going to someone's door saying, I want to talk to you about gay rights, they assume that you're gay. And so it was really interesting hearing from our straight volunteers of what that felt like. But so we, um, we were successful, we changed hearts and minds, and that year we repealed Article 12. So I was elected seven years later, and we've taken every step imaginable to uh, value LGBT people. Uh, the first city in the country to ban conversion therapy for minors. And just a little bit about my personal story. So I came out when I was 18. Uh, I went to conversion therapy uh, for three months. It is incredibly harmful for the rest of your life. Every major medical association says that uh, not only is it wrong, but it does harm a person. Um, so when we were able to ban that in the city, it was you know, personally for me, one of the most important things I've done because we're preventing kids from you know, being harmed by medical professionals performing a pseudoscience technique. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy just finished a court of thorns and roses and craving another fantasy world to devour dipsy's got you dive into spicy enemies to lovers tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes they've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk late night or long bath dipsy is an app full of short spicy audio stories they bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, 
Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are going to last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. leading the charge on transgender rights yep. at this point. What, um, are you using the same approach? Yeah, so you know, the next battle that I think in the LGBT community is talking about what it means to be transgender, why trans people want to use the restroom that they identify with, uh, why that matters, restrooms matter, and, uh, and you know, just kind of understanding gender identity and the fact that it's very different from sexual orientation Uh, Sexual orientation is who you're attracted to. Uh, Gender identity is who you are. Do you identify as a man or a woman or uh, you don't identify as either? And there are some people who don't uh, or they identify on a scale. You know, I think a lot of us accept that sexual orientation is a scale, that there are bisexual people, there are people who aren't 100% straight, but they're more than 50%. I think most of us accept that that exists, but we talk about gender, we only talk about it as male or female. And I think that in the future, we will see it as a continuum, that there are people who are not 100% either. And that's not being a freak, it's not being weird, uh, it, it is who they are. And uh, so we need to talk more about what it means to be transgender. And so that when I was on this panel uh, in front of like 500 of our biggest business leaders in the city, uh, and a very uh, white audience, uh, it was amazing to be able to say to these people, this is what it means to be transgender. And this is why trans people want to use the bathroom that they identify with. Uh, and it's why it's important that we have transgender inclusive healthcare um, so that people can transition and, and, and be the person who they are and be a better employee because they're comfortable in their own skin. When you're having these open, honest conversations. Do you find that people who don't get it are, are open and interested and in, do they ask questions? I mean, what kind of response do you get when you walk into uh, 
not a situation where you're preaching to the choir. Yeah, um, I think people want to listen uh, and they want to try to understand, but yeah, I, I'm not going to save the world uh, and change everyone's mind about transgender equality, but I think people are generally interested in, in understanding beyond the headlines or beyond Caitlyn Jenner. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, hopefully that, that will lead them to a path of questioning maybe their beliefs and, and, and developing more empathy, right? I mean, not everyone has to have a best friend who's transgender or go to a transgender rally, but if you see them as a real person um, and not some, you know, headline or, or celebrity that, that's preaching to you, but just a real person who wants to hold a job and raise a family, then maybe, you know, when someone says something that's anti-transgender, they might speak up and say, hey, I don't know about that. Um, so I think that people are generally receptive to listening and trying to understand. Something I really appreciated in that panel that you referred to is that, that you do talk about it from a human perspective. You know, you mentioned the kind of business case for diversity too, right? Yep. Cities absolutely lose money when they get this wrong. Yep. I worry about the business case becoming the conversation and what that feels like. I, I feel the same way when you start talking about race relations or, or any kind of issue when you, there is an economic side, no question, but I don't know, do you struggle with that balance? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't like the idea that we're doing this because it will help us make more money. Um, yeah. We should be doing it because it's the right thing to do. Uh, so I push back when people try to get us to speak about, well, you should do this because it'll help you generate more revenue. Um, instead of saying, no, we're gonna do this because we value all of our employees, even those who are different. And we want to provide a workplace that allows them to be their self and be their best self so that they can achieve our goal as a business. Um, so yeah, it is, it is disappointing, uh, but I know that uh, for some companies, they wouldn't do this if it weren't for that business side of it. And, you know, knowing that you can't be fired from your job because of who you love or who you are or that you will, you will have the health care that your doctor says you need, I mean, I'd rather have that than not, even if we get to it in the wrong way. So I know that you have also been um, involved in Cincinnati becoming a sanctuary city. Can you talk a little bit about that? What kind of reception <laughs> that's gotten and, um, and how yeah. that's been for you? I mean, it's, it's really crazy because what we did was pass a non-binding resolution that says we're a sanctuary city, which is not a defined term, uh, and that we value uh, the immigrants who live here. <laughs> that is not controversial to me. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't pass a law. We didn't define what it means to be sanctuary city. We are, if, if uh, federal uh, immigration agents wanted to come in Cincinnati and enforce laws that would remove uh, undocumented immigrants, they can do that. Um, it is not the role of our police officers to enforce federal immigration policy. Um, it never has. So, you know, we, we passed a non-binding resolution basically saying that we value all people regardless of their immigration status. Now, you know, we can't help that media will use that to try to make it seem like that we're willing to reject federal funding because we're a sanctuary city and that 
you know, all of a sudden that means that we're a harbor for anyone who has come to our country uh, through illegal means. Um, the media can say that, it's just not true. And um, we do value our immigrants here. And you know, again, I think the people who, who are on the opposite side of this issue, if they met an immigrant family who could be split up and a parent whose kids were born in the United States would be sent back to a country where they might be killed or uh, harmed, I think if they saw that family, they would probably say, well, not you. We don't want to send you back. But yeah, all the rest of those quote unquote illegals should go back. I mean, we've gotten to a point in our, our world where we've segregated ourselves about around people who are like us and who think like us. And so when we have these tough discussions, it's, it's like you don't know who the, these are as people. You don't know who these immigrant families are who you know, may run a successful dry cleaners and that you use and that is a part of your community and uh, who have kids that are speaking English and, and going to our schools. And so uh, it's, just, it's just really a frustrating point in our history of, of and we have a president who, who daily demonizes these same people. So, uh, you know, it's why I started a weekly Facebook Live thing where I interview people who are different from us. Uh, so anyone, we had a person experiencing homelessness last week. We've had um, an African-American lesbian pastor. We've had Brian Tome, who's the pastor of Crossroads, which is uh, a conservative and, and he held some anti-LGBT beliefs. So uh, we're trying to expose people to see people who are different from us as, as still human beings and trying to still understand where they're coming from so that it's harder to demonize them you know, in broader political discussions. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water. 
leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze. And its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy Filtered Showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. It's such a head scratcher for me as someone who is conservative that, that there's all this pushback on sanctuary cities because I think that's the essence of why I'm conservative, that a city decides how it's going to use its local resources, yep. that a city decides you know, what the makeup of its population looks like. I was recently in Nashville and had the fortune of hearing the Nashville mayor speak, and she talked about their concerted effort in Nashville to talk about immigrants as new Americans, and I just loved that. Yep. It was such a good reminder to all of us that I'm, I've just been an American a little longer than you, but we're the same. I don't have any more entitlement to being an American than someone who just arrived here. So. Um, she also spoke about something that I wondered if this is part of your experience. Um, Nashville is trying to position itself as business friendly and progressive together. And, mm-hmm. and that seems like a great approach. And she said that her focus now is to get people away from not in my backyard to yes, in my backyard. Yes, I want public transportation. Yes, I want affordable housing. Um, is, that, is that the next challenge for Cincinnati or the current challenge for Cincinnati? You know, I mean, I think we are incredibly business friendly. We have one of the lowest income taxes in the state, if not the lowest of any major city. Um, When developers want a tax subsidy, they get that tax subsidy. Uh, We have a lot of uh, jobs being created. A new tower on our banks for GE that was a million dollars that we gave the biggest tax subsidy in the history of the city. Uh, I think, you know, we have the most concentrated number of Fortune 500 companies in an urban city in the country. Uh, with Macy's and Procter and Gamble, uh, Western and Southern, uh, uh, GE. So um, I think we're, we've got it there business-wise. Um, we do need to embrace ourselves more as an, an urban city. So we do need to realize that public trade, we will not be able to compete for jobs or talent 50 years from now, 25 years from now, if we don't have a better public transportation system. You know, I, my staff doesn't always like me to say this, but I think in 500 years, the people who are alive in 500 years will look back and this reliance on cars will be a blip on the radar, um, that we will be much more focused on public transportation that, uh, that is reliable and that can get you wherever you need to go. 
Um, so, you know, I want us to get there. It's investing in everything from bike lanes to dedicated bike lanes so you can ride safely on the street, um, to light rail, to better metro bus system, uh, expanded streetcar. I uh, don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, but uh, it's one of the parts of an overall system. I want to go back to the, what your comment on um, uh, federal and state get, the governments getting in the way of local governments, which is absolutely a Republican principle and one that I agree with. It's funny because our state, the state of Ohio, is controlled all by Republicans. So from the governor to the state legislator, and they continuously take away our power. So they've taken away our power to set a minimum wage. They've taken away our power to do anything with guns. Uh, and now we just passed a resolution asking them not to do this. They're taking away our power to do anything with lead abatements. So to, and this is the one that doesn't make any sense to me. We do a ton of work to try to prevent uh, lead poison getting into kids or adults through paint or you know old buildings. Uh, they want to take that control away. Uh, so it's interesting that you know when you get in power and you don't like what someone under you is doing, instead of holding on to your principles, you change them so that you can control them. Well, and it makes me wonder if we really are in a migration in terms of what the parties mean, because I know Sarah, uh, my Democratic counterpart, gets right. aggravated with this notion that Democrats don't want to be fiscally responsible. She's like, I don't, you know, I want to balance the budget too. Yeah. <laughs> it's just we have different ways of talking about these things. And, and I do feel that um, what Republican means now has become so much more nationalist and so much more about socially conservative issues yeah. um, that, that maybe it doesn't have space for a, a, a lot of people like me anymore. And, and that's okay. Like party affiliation isn't the most important thing to me, which kind of leads me to my next question for you. Um, how much of an impact on a local race do you find that the broader political climate has? Is it different running this year than it was in 2011? Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, we just had a mayoral primary and uh, the three candidates running, there was Rob Richardson, who's kind of land, uh, labeled himself as the most progressive, Yvette Simpson, who's very progressive, and then John Cranley, who most people see as moderate to conservative, even though they're all Democrats. and. Uh, the incumbent mayor who spent $700,000 but is more conservative uh, only got 34% of the vote uh, and spent $700,000 attacking his two opponents who had maybe $20,000. Uh, I think that when you have a Republican in the White House or Republicans controlling Congress, you usually see the opposite happen in local or state governments. Uh, and we live in a time that it's not just a Republican, but it's a, a person who, you know, there are serious talks of impeachment because of his conduct and his constant tweeting aggressively at the people that we're trying to protect. And so I think that that's going to drive a lot of voters out who don't want Donald Trump-like people or conservative people to be elected. So. I think you will see a rise in progressive voters or moderate voters who are going to go to Democrats because they hate what's going on in D.C. Mm -hmm. What's the highlight of your political career so far? I mean, I, I will tell you that oh, a couple things. So one, passing the, um, uh, the ban on conversion therapy because it just had such a personal impact for me. Um, I won the Cincinnati version of Dancing with the Stars, which I would never have had the opportunity <laughs> to do without being elected. And uh, besides my first election night, that was kind of, I'm not a dancer, I'm not athletic, 
So it took a lot of work. So that was a, a highlight. Um, you know, I think that the fact that our population is growing for the first time in 65 years, uh, and I attribute it to the investments we've made. Uh, that's, you know, that in, in itself, I think, is a, a highlight of my past six years. But there's a lot more work to be done. I mean, as much as momentum and positive energy we have, 50% of families still live below the poverty line. Um, we have a heroin epidemic that we're not talking enough about. Uh, and there are people who are legitimately scared because of, uh, scared of their safety because of what's happening in DC. And we have to be that safeguard for them. So if I'm listening to this interview and I've never been politically active, yep. maybe I didn't go to law school, right? Yep. And I feel like I'm not the traditional candidate for office, but I can't sit on the sidelines anymore. What's your advice to me? So, I mean, get involved. So volunteer for a candidate, for a local party. Uh, and when you do that, regardless of your qualifications, you cannot bring an ego to it. So if, if they need you to stuff envelopes, if they need you to make phone calls or go door to door or go pick up supplies, do it and do the best that you can at it. Be the best you can at it because people notice that. And that's how politics is not like a business world where you start at an entry level and you have expectations of when you're gonna move up. Um, politics is about people who work hard, who are willing to do what it takes uh, and getting people to notice you. Uh, and uh, so that would be my advice. I mean, we want more people to run for office, but it is not easy running for office. And a lot of people who would be great uh, at a, if they were elected and would do great work um, you know, find that it, it's too it's too hard because regardless of whether it should or shouldn't be, money is a huge part of running for office, and I think it shouldn't be. Uh, and uh, having people like you and and find something you know different in you, and you have to like people. I mean, it's you know you, you can't be. It would be very hard for a true introvert to. Uh, run given that you know you, you have to talk to as many people as possible in every day uh, so my advice was just to be to volunteer to find someone that inspires you and ask them what you can do to help thank you so much for talking with me Chris it's, it's an honor to chat with you yeah thank you and thank you all for doing this I mean what how we're gonna change this world is by having tough conversations and trying to get to know each other so thank you all Thank you for joining us for another episode of Pantsuit Politics. Before we wrap up the show, we just want to encourage everyone to check out Patreon, our site where you can support Pantsuit Politics and help us expand the work we do here. We're so close to our goal. We're over two-thirds of the way there, and we'd really like to reach our goal so that we can get Pantsuit Politics in the black. So if you'd like to become a supporter, there are levels all the way from $1 to $100 and all kinds of extra bonus features, including posts from Beth while she's in Europe about her adventures there, um, only available to our patrons. So go to patreon.com forward slash pantsuitpolitics to check that out. Thank you to our executive producer, my husband, Nicholas Holland, as well as our two new executive producers, Leslie and Tracy. We are so excited to have them. Thank you again for joining us. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or leave us a review in the podcast app. And until next week, keep it nuanced, y'all.